and Methuselah the father of Lamech. And Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jacob. He was the father of those who lived in tents and raised livestock. His brother, whose name was Jubal, he was the father of all who played the harp and flute. Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools of, out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Naamah. Lamech said to his wife, his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy-seven times. Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son, and the name is Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in the place of Abel. Since Cain killed him, Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Oh. Word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. Pray with me as we begin. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. God, we need your word more than we need anything else. And so we pray that you would please now open it up for us. God, I pray you would help us to understand your word. As Pastor Santos said, we pray that you would help us not only to understand it, but go and apply it in our lives. We beg of you, Lord, for these few moments as we are focused on your word that you would help us to worship from a true heart. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are continuing our study here in the book of Genesis. And uh, we have spent our time in these first uh, three chapters because it is so foundational uh, to the understanding of Scripture as a whole. It's so foundational to our lives with God. And, uh, but we are going to begin to pick up the pace here um, as we get into some of these other chapters in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 4 is kind of a, a weighty chapter. As we talked about, the fall has already happened here in Genesis 3, and things are going downhill very, very quickly. So this morning that we're going to see a few things, but we're going to see that since the beginning, we were created to worship God, Right? We know that's kind of Christianity 101. You and I were created to worship and glorify God. When we worship him rightly by faith, we experience life as God truly intended it for us to live, right? Back in the garden, as it were. But when we don't experience or don't worship God that way, we experience further destruction, further decay, and further deterioration in our walk with God and the world that he has put us in. This is, among other things, what the story of Cain and Abel teaches us. Two brothers whose lives were forever changed by the decision of their parents in the garden. Once Adam and Eve ate of that fruit and were banished from the garden, all the rest of human history would suffer part of the consequences. And then we, in our own ways, would sin against God. Life after the garden was in full swing, and it wasn't pretty. It kept going downhill quicker and quicker. It got worse and worse. With this in mind, we turn to our first point for this morning, which is that God requires true worship to be from the heart. 
God requires true worship to be from the heart. We just read a moment ago that sometime after having been banished from the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve bore two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain, we know, was a worker of the ground, just like his dad. Okay? He worked the ground. That was his job. But Abel was a keeper of the sheep. Okay? So we have the two men and their two jobs from the beginning of this story. And scene one of the story of Cain and Abel picks up where both sons brought an offering to the Lord. Now, it's important for us to remember at this time in the scripture, we haven't been given uh, all the instruction that will come about sacrifices and offerings and things of those nature. We don't know about the sacrificial system yet. God hasn't given that clear instruction, which will be developed later on. So whether Adam and Eve taught their sons about bringing offerings to the Lord or whether God himself taught um, the sons and Adam and Eve to bring those things before the Lord, we don't know exactly. We are just told that they brought an offering to the Lord. <coughs> Verses 3 and 4 give us the particulars of those offerings. Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portion. Okay? And so each man brought an offering to the Lord based upon the job they had. Okay? So they took the fruit of the ground, he worked the ground. He took the, the sheep, he was a keeper of sheep. But what happens next sets the stage for the rest of this devastating chapter. What it says in verse 4 into verse 5, it says that the Lord had regard or looked with favor on the offering of Abel but not on the offering of Cain. And the question is why? Well, some folks ask the question, was it something different in the actual offering itself? Was there something different where the Lord said, I accept this one, but I do not accept this one? Or was it something deeper, something going on in the hearts of these men as they brought their offering to God? What was going on? Well, commentators are all kind of over the map here, but there, and there may be some truth to the fact that there was a fundamental difference between these two offerings. While Abel brought the best of his best to God, Cain seems to have brought maybe less than his best to the Lord. Something ordinary, something that wasn't all that costly or sacrificial to him. But it's probably best for us not to speculate too much about this uh, because the scripture doesn't make it clear why one was better over the other. It makes it clear later, um, and the best thing for us to do is let Scripture interpret Scripture. What I mean by that is that in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, we are given a clear understanding about this offering. It says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And so whatever the difference was in the offering in and of itself, Hebrews here gives us a concrete difference between these two offerings. What was that difference? Well, one was given by faith, and one was given not by faith, or actually in unbelief. Another way to say this is one was given from the heart, and one was given with one's heart that was far from the Lord. 
One commentator puts it this way, it's evident that the one gave because it was time and custom to give, which is pure formalism. Whereas the other gave the best, which was pure, devout worship. <coughs> See, what was going on here is that Abel came by faith giving God his best. He gave God his best from his heart, while Cain's heart was far from the Lord. <coughs> we read uh, in the beginning of our worship service, Psalm 51, 16 and 17. Let me read it again for us. God says this, for, or, or sorry, David says this, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You would not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. See, what God requires from you and from I, what God required of Cain and Abel, is that they would come in their hearts by faith, that they would give God their best. That they would worship with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so as we pause here in our story here in Genesis 4, we have to take an honest look at our own hearts. To ask God, as we prayed earlier, search us, O God. See if there is any grievous way within me. Right? Because there are. There are things that are going on inside of our heart that the Lord has to bring to the surface. When we come to the Lord in worship, how do we come? And I'm not just talking about on a Sunday morning when we gather together. As Pastor Sanders said, it's the start of a week full of worship. Our whole lives are worship. So when we come to the Lord in worship, do we give Him our best? Do we give Him our very best? Is that how we worship God? Trusting that He is good and worthy of all of our praise. That he is worthy of our very best. Does your heart say, does my heart say, God, everything I have is yours. I trust you. Here is my best. Here is my best from the depths of my heart. This reminds me of when King David said that he would bring an offering to the Lord. But he said this in 2 Samuel. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and oxen for 50 shekels of silver. I will not offer the Lord that which cost me nothing. Well, it could be said that Cain brought something that wasn't worth so much to him. While Abel did bring the best and from faith. The question is, do you and I give God the scraps? Do we give God the leftovers, the things that we can do without? And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about everything that God has given us. Do we give God the leftovers or do we give him our very best because he is worthy of that? Do we give God what is costly, what is of great value to you and to me? Well, as we return to the story of Cain and Abel, the rest of the narrative focuses on really Cain's response to and reaction to what the Lord is doing as he rejects this offering. And this brings us to our second point, which is this. False worship invites our sin to carry out its devastating effects. False worship invites our sin to carry out its devastating effects. Look at verses 6 and 7 once again. The Lord said to Cain, 
Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. See, Cain brought an offering to the Lord in unbelief. He didn't come by faith. He came in unbelief. And so he shouldn't be surprised. And in one sense, it really isn't rocket science. God says, do well and you'll be accepted. Don't do well and you won't. But in Cain's anger and discouragement, God gives him a very clear warning. God knows the intentions of our hearts. He knows what's going on inside of us. He knows what's going on in Cain. He knows what's about to happen with Cain and his brother. And he gives him a clear warning. One person has said that what this amounts to is a call to repentance, a change of life for Cain. That's what God's doing here. Like a first-time offender who is given a second chance by the judge so that they won't become a repeat offender. Cain is given the opportunity to own up to what he did, to repent of it, and to learn from it, and to move on in faith. God is reminding him of the gravity of the situation at hand. He says sin is lying in wait like a tiger that is ready to pounce on its prey. Its desire is for you, Cain, to destroy you, to take you away from me. But you must rule over it, Cain. God is warning Cain. You must rule over it. Or what? It will rule over you. And in the same way, you and I must heed God's warning here. Sin is our enemy. Our enemy is us, as Pastor Santa said earlier. It lies in wait seeking to devour you and me. It seeks to steal and kill, to steal all of our joy in the Lord, to focus us inward instead of outward, to focus us on self instead of focusing on God. It disrupts our intimacy with God and his people. It seeks to trick us and to believe that the good life is apart from God. That the good life is in the things that God hates. And all the meanwhile, secretly slipping that poison that you and I so often take that destroy our lives. You know what? Before we get to what happened to Cain, don't think for a minute that you are above what Cain did. Don't think for a minute that this could not happen to you. We have all struggled with anger at one point in time. We've all struggled with jealousy at one point in time. So much so that it, could, it has gripped our hearts. Where if it were not for the Lord's restraint, we would have done the same thing that Cain did. Sadly for Cain's sin was crouching at his door. And it did rule over him. Ending in his demise. And those that would follow in his line. He didn't follow the instruction of the Lord. He chose to ignore and disobey God, taking further steps away from paradise in the garden, away from God. So what happens next in verse 8 onward is a rapid succession of sin. Sin that begets sin, that begets sin, that begets sin, as the Bible says. Genesis 3 was just the start of that destructive cycle of sin. Look at verse 8. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. 
rose up against his brother and killed him. Cain had a heart full of jealousy. He had a heart full of envy. And Cain takes his spot in history as the first murderer. Premeditated, murder one, he's guilty. In little over a chapter in the Bible, we have went from paradise to murder. Murdering in cold blood. How far we have fallen in such a short time in the story of the Bible. Sin's destructive path carries on even today so much so that we expect to hear about murders and killing as we turn on the evening news. As we read the newspaper or go online or talk to our neighbors. How quickly one murder will be forgotten with the news of yet another one. How quickly the little memorials in the side street with the candles and the teddy bears of a young man shot in a drive-by will soon be covered by weeds and tattered by the wind and the rain. Murder has become almost something that is normal, something that we expect to hear. But Cain doesn't get away with murdering his brother. The Lord would carry out justice. Verses 9 through 16 detail the Lord's confronting of Cain and his crime. You know what? As I was studying it, it was eerily familiar to God's interaction with Adam and Eve after eating the tree in the garden. Look with me uh, for for a few moments at these texts as we kind of compare and contrast these two scenarios. If you remember back in chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Similarly, chapter 4, verse 9 in our story, The Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? It's not that the Lord didn't know. The Lord knew what was going on. He was confronting them in their sin. Back again to 3, verse 10. I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Chapter 4, verse 9. He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? All of a sudden, sin enters the world and you and I hide from God. In our sin, in our shame, we hide. We pretend that it didn't happen. 3, verses 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And in our story, 4, verse 10. The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Back to the story in Genesis 3, verse 17. Because you listened to the voice of your wife, cursed is the ground because of you. And then in our story 4, verse 11. And now you are cursed from the ground. What's going on here is Genesis 3 all over again. Genesis 4 is Genesis 3 all over again. The fall is repeating itself. Man rejects God, and now his relationship with God and others suffers the consequences. Man is driven in his sin further away from the fellowship of God and the fellowship of his fellow man, the fellowship of even the ground that he works. Instead of Cain showing a heart of repentance, he is further entrenched in his sin. See, what should have Cain done here? Cain should have repented and turned to the Lord, experienced his grace, owned up to his mistake. But that's not what happens. 
verses 13 and 14. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me would kill me. Just a minute ago, he wasn't very concerned about killing his brother, was he? But now all of a sudden, when it comes to him, he's concerned about being killed. Killing other people is fine. I just don't want them to kill me. That self-preservation kicks in, doesn't it? Right? Cain is cursed, and those who follow in his line seem to follow in his footsteps. As we see here, we're not going to read it again, but in verses 17 through 24, murder begets murder. That begets murder, right? Lamech. That was a boast that he had there down in those verses. He says, you know what? If Cain did this, I killed these men just for hitting me. I killed these men just for looking at me wrong. I killed these men for their sneakers or whatever it may be. If Cain's curse is sevenfold, mine is seventy-sevenfold. The seed of the serpent marches on in full strength. So what are we to learn from this story with Cain and Abel? See, Cain had a worship problem. Cain had a worship problem just like you and me. Instead of worshiping by faith, he came to the Lord in unbelief. Unbelief is the root of all sin. The Bible says that whatever, doesn't, whatever does not come from faith is sin. Instead of worshiping God... By faith, he came to the Lord in unbelief. And it was false worship. But it didn't stop there. It continued to progress and spiral out of control that led to further sin and further sin and further sin. He found himself in a situation that he could not get out of. And you know what happened to Cain? You know, the devil's lie was that if you follow me, you will become more human. But what happened to Cain is that he became less human. The more that he walked away from the Lord, the more that he made those decisions to entertain and to entice sin as it was at his door, he became less human. He was walking further away from the design of God. And the same is true of you and me. When we come to the Lord in unbelief, or we don't come to him at all, or when we leave a crack in the door for further sin to stick its ugly head in, to creep into our lives. If we're not careful to heed the warning here, the call to repent, the call to stop and to hear his chastisement, to hear his discipline and say, you're right, Lord, I am in the wrong. I confess of that now. Jesus, I need you. If we do not do, not do that, we will find ourselves maybe in a similar situation just like Cain. That one day we will find ourselves so angry and so jealous that we might take the life of our brother or of our sister. The Bible never wants us to play around with sin. Sin is deadly. Sin is dangerous. And it's a fight that we must fight each and every day. False worship invites our sin to carry out its devastating effects. See, the way of Cain would become, become known as the way of Satan. In 1 John 3, 12, 
Cain will be put forth as the very opposite of brotherly love that Christians are called to. Cain was forever remembered because of what he did and put forth as a negative example of what not to follow. Don't be like Cain. That's how the New Testament uses him. Don't be like Cain. Cain went down in history for all the wrong reasons. And so I think there here is a very sober warning for you and I to deal with our sin. One of the reasons we have a time of confession of sin each week is so that we don't let too long go before we are, are, are taking an honest look at ourselves and asking God to search us because sin is deceitful. Our hearts in and of themselves are deceitful. They will deceive us, just like it happened to Cain. But before we close, I do want to point out one more thing here. The story of Cain and Abel is not all doom and gloom. There is, at the end, a glimmer of hope. You remember in previous weeks, we talked about kind of the first presentation of the gospel in Genesis 3.15. And in Genesis 3.15... It is said that someone from the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent or Satan. Satan may have won a battle, but we know that he will not win the war. Amen? He may have won the battle, but he will not win the war, and we can be sure of that. Verses 25 and 26, let me read them again for us. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, they began to call upon the name of the Lord. See, even in this disastrous chapter, even in this very sobering chapter that warns us of the deceitfulness of sin, there is a promise. There is God's provision. Abel was killed, but what would God do? God provided the seed to continue. God provided another one in place of him. God provided Seth so that that would continue on. And so we're not left without hope. We're not left with only deceitful hearts. We, we are reminded just as we confess our sin of the truth of the gospel each and every Sunday as we come to our time of confession, we also have an assurance that says this is the gospel, that there is hope for sinners like you and me, that you don't have to succumb to your sin like Cain did. You don't have to give up to it. By God's grace, you can fight it. By God's grace, you are forgiven because what Jesus did on the cross. That's what the promise is here in Genesis 3.15, that one day Jesus would come and live the perfect life that we could not live, and he would die the death that you and I deserve because of our sin. And because of that, he has not only forgiven us, but he indwells us through the Holy Spirit so that we may fight sin, so that we might worship God by faith and not come in unbelief. See, the only way that we can worship God by faith is through the Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own, but it is God who is at work within us. So yes, this is a very sobering message, but it's also a message of hope. A message of hope for you and me in the midst of the struggle and the battle against sin. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the reminder of the deceitfulness of sin. Lord, sometimes we need to hear a hard word because sometimes uh, we like to uh, just look at the good parts or the happy parts of the Bible, uh, but we need to look at these parts. All of your word is inspired. All of your word is good for us to teach us and to rebuke us and to correct us and to train us in righteousness. Mm -hmm. And so, Father, we thank you for your word here from the story of Cain and Abel. We thank you, Lord, that you have indwelled our hearts through the Holy Spirit and that you have forgiven us of our sin, that you have given us help to fight in this battle. We thank you for the reminder of Hebrews 12, 24, that says, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus, your blood speaks a better word than even the blood of Abel. Jesus, we need your help as we fight the good fight. It is a fight. Sometimes it's discouraging. Sometimes we're blindsided by sin. Sometimes we open the door when we shouldn't open the door. Sometimes we invite it. And so, Lord, forgive us. But not, let us stop there, Lord. Help us to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And, Lord, that you would help us to fight the fight, to run the race marked out for us with perseverance and endurance all the way to the end. We pray this, God, for our good and for your glory. And praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.